The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones. Welcome to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm so happy to have you with us today, and I'm going to invite you to go to the Good Grief host page at Voice America with all the links you need to connect with me in your favorite way. Today I'm here with Dina Taylor. A month before she was to celebrate her 40th birthday in Italy, Dina, a single freelance writer, was diagnosed with breast cancer and indefinitely postponed her trip. Instead of strolling through the old country and flirting with Italian men, she grappled with fear and sadness and guilt about a rather strong dislike of pink ribbons. Several months of treatment and a few uncomfortable breast cancer awareness events later, Dina accepted that she was diagnosed with a disease, not a cause, and resolved to support research but ultimately live life undefined by cancer. Nearly complete and available for representation, I Don't Want to Be Pink is Dina's candid, sharp-witted memoir about reclaiming love, sex, and adventure in the wake of cancer. Dina is an award-winning copywriter and has written for Austin Woman Magazine, Fresh Yarn, Yankee Pot Roast, and the Seeking Shama and Cancer Cancer Bo Banser blogs. She currently lives in Denver, Colorado, and you can find her at www.dinataylor.com, D-E-N-A, and follow her on Twitter at at Dina Taylor Time. Welcome to the show, Dina. Hi, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Oh, happy to have you, and thanks for a great book. I feel really privileged to read it before it's even published. Oh, thank you so much for yeah putting up with any typos and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the published books often have a typo or two. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay, I feel better. Thank you. So, well, let's start just talking about your book for a bit. Uh, at some point, you decided to capture your experiences with cancer in a book. How did that come about for you? Well, uh, devastated by the diagnosis, completely sidelined. Um, I did what I've always done since I was a kid, which is go to my journal. So the the seeds were getting on online and in handwritten form, just processing everything that was happening in journal. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, cussing away at cancer, shock, fear, um, the humor, everything to cope went into these journals. And then as I um, found out I was going to have to have chemo as well, um, I started spending a little bit more time with them. And then I thought, well, maybe this could be essays. And it originally turned, or originally the idea was to have a collection of essays. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then, years later, when I um, had a manuscript of these essays and sent it to a developmental editor for some much-needed guidance, (laughs) (laughs) Um, he suggested, you know, this is really more of a memoir, and we need to fix a few things to make it flow instead of these sort of miniature short stories. And um, we went back and forth several times, and then last year kind of had it in good enough shape to have a pretty solid manuscript. So it was kind of an evolution, it sounds like. It was an evolution. I think early on I knew I wanted to do something with it because there were just so many funny things in it that I thought, gosh, I find comfort in kind of the creativity that I'm using to cope with this and just funny things my family did or said or friends or just all these, you know, things. And I thought maybe, just maybe, if I publish something, um, it could help somebody else. Um, Especially because when I, after my diagnosis, there are a lot of books um, on on coping with breast cancer. I did not find one for that really spoke to, to me as a single straight woman kind of out living robustly and without kids mm-hmm. um, that I kind of had to, I had my own posse of people, but it wasn't what I was seeing in my uh, immediate surrounds as far as, you know, I didn't have a husband and kids and things like that. Everybody in my life you know, stepped up and was there, but it wasn't what I was um, seeing in book form, I guess. And um, so I just kind of started doing it on my own. <laughs> uh-huh. That well, and the thing is, I I believe there's a little bit of a. Um, I believe one of the things that get gets missed out of going through that experience. I've done it by standing next to someone who's going through it, but uh, that's pretty close range. Mm-hmm. Um, it, boy, after a while, it does get funny. I mean, I I never had a sense of humor before that, and I discovered mine. I think you already had yours, but um, it, that's a very helpful uh, thing to have in your bag of tricks, yeah? To, to be able to look at it from that angle. Yeah, I think that's kind of just where I come from with my family. There's a lot of imagination. There's a lot of creativity in everyone in my immediate family. And I, as a writer, I work with a lot of creative people, so um, it, it fits. Um, and it's just the places you can, the places you can go with it as a, a coping tool. Like there's one part in the book where I, I talk about having a built-in Halloween costume and, <laughs> after I have my bilateral mastectomy because you have these scars and things don't look like they used to. And so um, I was going to be Scarborella and uh, my celebrity name would be Scarjo. And, <laughs> <laughs> or Scar, excuse me, Scarbo. Um, and, you know, go so just things like that just, uh, just creeped up throughout, throughout the process. And sometimes in the wake of, of a really low moment that was, uh, crying and processing and um, or just things that were funny just they just are and and you can you can only be sad for so long and you mm-hmm. know 
Yeah. Well, and the other thing I I uh, thought you captured so well is that other parts of life don't disappear just because you're going through uh, the cancer experience. You know that they kind of intersect. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I I kept working in in the beginning when I was diagnosed. Um, I found another wonderful uh, freelance writer who picked up some projects for me, and I went to some clients, and I said, I can't, I can't finish this. I didn't know if I could or, or couldn't do it, but I'm, you know, also I'm a freelancer. That's my, that's my rent. Um, people offered to help, and people did help financially, mm-hmm. um, but that was very, very important for me to uh, continue working if I could. So surprisingly, through chemo, I took back some projects. It was hard because there's a thing called chemo brain, which yes, <laughs> um, people I'm sure you're familiar with. And it is very real. It's it's very very real, and there's some scary uh, things that leaving keys in the front door outside overnight, things like that 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 would occur, and then having trouble um, with a sentence just right in. You know, that's my job. But anyway, I I continue to work because. It gave me something to do and some purpose, and I had to pay some bills, and and I forced myself to go running and walking, and just that normalcy. You want to hang on to that normalcy when you're when you've been singled out in this mm-hmm. way. It's really important. Yeah. Or it was for me anyway. Yeah, I I think how how that shows itself with people is different, but I I do resonate with what you're. What you're saying, you know, for some people that might be going on a vacation or, you know, yeah. but what, whatever you can do that, that connects you and people that still, uh, connect with you and not just about cancer seems to be a big part of that too. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's also very important and kind of where I end up at the end of the book is I don't want to be, uh, I don't want that to be the first thing that I tell people or that people know in, yeah. in a daily life. I mean, obviously, if I have a book, then I'm, you know, promoting my experience. And so, therefore, I'm, there's going to be an association with cancer. But, um, you know, I remember a year, no, a, not a year, a couple months after I went um, back to the Northwest and I ran into an old coworker at the grocery store and um, I had barely, my hair was barely coming in and I was having this hot flash from the tamoxifen side effect and um, just a full-blown hot flash in front of this guy (laughs) and Uh I felt compelled um, to tell him, you know, I'm having a hot flash because I'm on tamoxifen because I had cancer, la, la, la. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, does he really need to know that? And so that's, it's like you have to come out. when, When do you come out? Do you come out if you if you do, how do you tell people and that sort of thing? That's a really nice uh, uh, kind of lead in to the, the segment I'd like you to read. Uh, obviously, this is way out of chronological order, but I think it gives people a sense, uh, you know, where you ended up and gives a se- sense of your voice. So the one about... Um, as his hand slid under my skirt. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the this is an excerpt about 
someone I started dating about a year and a half after I finished treatment, and it was my first uh, serious encounter. As his hand slid under my skirt, I could hear the distant voices of shoulds bit forth their warnings, trying to hold me back. You shouldn't let him see your scars. They'll turn him off. You shouldn't expect too much. Your cancer crap will scare him away. You shouldn't give the milk away for free. You should leave now. But instead of feeling apprehensive or insecure, I felt overwhelmingly happy, deeply excited, and inexplicably confident. I could think of no good reason to shut this party down. Do astronauts go halfway to the moon? Does you two stop in the middle of beautiful day? Does John Stewart set up a joke without delivering the punchline? Every inch of me was delirious with attraction to this man with the smile, to this playful fumbling of hands, to the promise of whatever uninhibited deliciousness emerged as the evening thundered on. It was just one moment, but all I really had, all any of us have if we're paying attention, and I wasn't about to take it for granted. Embracing every second, I kissed him back fervently, and all those disparaging shoulds and faux-pearled wisdom gave way to unabashed cheers. Take it off. You can do it. Get some, girl. My cancer experience was a fact, not a hindrance. I would only get in my way if I let it, and more and more in the 16 months since treatment, it was taking a back seat to every other aspect of my life. Intimacy in the form of hot sex was the final showdown. So I pushed cancer out of my mind, and with every piece of clothing that was flung to the floor, so went the vestiges of fear. I was about to give the milk away for free, and I couldn't give it away fast enough. When I was reading that, I was, I was uh, cheering for you, I guess. <laughs> I guess I was yes. Yes! <laughs> All those things that tell you you shouldn't do something, you just really have to root for the other side. Root for the other side. And um, it, it does seem to me like, uh, ironically, that is something that sometimes people come to as a result of a, of a diagnosis. You know, like, there's, I, first of all, the worst has happened. You know, yes, but second you can't of go all, wear a bit up. <laughs> yeah, but second of all, if not now, when is that part of what you were talking about there? Say, I'm sorry. Say that again. If not now, when you know, kind of a sense of immediacy, like why not do this? Um, yeah, I never, I never thought I wouldn't. Um, a, a, put myself on the market and try to be intimate with someone. I mean, I was a single person, you know, 41, 42 at, at the time of when I met this person. And it, was, it, it wasn't a question of whether, it was a question of how. And it's going to take risk and it's going to be rejection. And, and to your point earlier, you can only go up. And, and time, time is of the essence. So if someone rejected me or didn't like my scars because, you know, that was what I was so uncomfortable with, then um, good riddance and Mm -hmm. let's move on to the next. Yeah, I I was thinking about uh, the way in which that's in a, in a way, a litmus test. Uh, You know, it's, it's a creep detector. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if someone can't handle it, you don't want them. 
Yes, and that's much easier said than done because no there, there were plenty of moments. And just, just like anyone who's actually anybody who's older and dating because it, you you, you got to be vulnerable and you've got, you know, by the time you're in your 40s, you, you, you've got baggage and we all have something or whatever um, mm-hmm. that we're concerned about. And so it's, it's on a good day you know, if someone's not interested or turned off by that, then they're shallow and that guy's not for me. Um, that's not to say that later that night there maybe weren't, you know, some tears shed or some bad feelings or, you know, half a bottle of wine gone. Um, with Absolutely. Some, with some Ben and Jerry's. I, I've dated in my 40s, I remember. <laughs> yeah, see, so, um, but you just keep, or for me anyway, you, a therapist told me once, um, let allow allow the feelings, allow them to finish, complete them, and then you you go back up because what else you know what else was I going to do? I knew exactly what I would get if I stayed home, and that was nothing. But you put yourself out there, and that's where possibilities are. And I want to engage and embrace and experience all all that I can in the way of relationships or travel or whatever it is. So you find a way. Yeah, well, one thing that I really uh, felt about you reading the book is kind of a zest for life that you seem to have. And you wouldn't be being yourself if you just stopped uh, expressing that. Yeah, I think I like, I like a lot of change, so I think if I stayed in and watched TV all day, I'd just get bored. I would just am not Uh suited. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to change the furniture around in my bedroom like every couple months Uh because I just had to switch it up. (laughs) Guess what? It's time for our first break. Okay. Um, We'll be talking more about Dina's experiences during and after cancer when we come back. And during the break, you can go to the Good Grief host page or to my website, www.weatheringgrief.com, to connect with me. To find Dina, go to www.dinataylor.com, or follow her on Twitter by going to at dinataylortime. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. 
Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm talking with Dina Taylor, an author whose book, I Don't Want to Be Pink, is a truthful look at her cancer experiences infused with her wicked sense of humor. For sure. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing out loud quite often while I was reading. Especially, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but I would be reading along with, you know, your uh, what was going on at the time, maybe going to a cancer appointment or getting, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue would come a surprise, uh, a humorous surprise. Is that how you experience life? Or was that an intentional thing to write, to write in? Is that or how both? I experience life? Um, yeah, that you're kind of plugging yes. along, and then something is suddenly really funny to you. <laughs> yes, I you know, and I don't know if that's a a writer thing or what, but there. And I recall my family. This just something we do. I guess it's an observation thing. So, mm-hmm. um, there's, it's just people are people are funny, including myself. We do funny things under pressure and. I don't know. And and I you know, there's a lot of wordplay in my family too. Um sort of a wry way of looking at at life. So I don't know if it's in the blood or, or what, but it makes it more entertaining and then I really enjoy writing about it. Like if sharing that sort of like, you know, I saw somebody the other day at Whole Foods spill a jug of milk in the parking lot and I felt really bad that I didn't go out and ask her, you know, she needed my help, but I was fascinated by how she was managing the situation (laughs) because she was, she dumped it in the lot, like so stinky milk all over the lot. And, Uh and where I was like, why don't you go put it in the garbage can? But it was such a, but you know, I don't know what was going through her mind and I can't say I would have done anything better or worse. It was just sort of watching a show. It was fascinating. From the outside, it was funny. I thought it was funny. I'm yeah. sure she didn't think it was funny, but because she just bought milk and at Whole Foods, which co- probably cost her a decent amount. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess what I, what's coming to my mind is... Uh, the sense in a lot of meditation practices of the observer, you know, you're supposed to develop somebody who's looking as well as somebody who's experiencing. Uh, and that, that can get pretty serious, but maybe humor is another way to do that. 
you're kind of looking at your experience from a little bit of an angle uh, outside of the experience as well. Yeah, I think that's probably very, very true. And, you know, when you can, when you write something in my work, say it's a headline for, I don't know, a direct mail piece, there's a million ways I can come at that headline. And so I'll write like four or five different options and then, you know, present it to the team and, you know, what concept is best, which angle is best. So there's, there's a lot of looking at things at different angles and definitely things of, of both sides. Like, just that woman in the parking lot, I'm like, well, she could be really frustrated and upset right now, or does she also think this is kind of funny? Uh-huh. I, you know, just trying to look at it from every angle, which, by the way, can be really exhausting. <laughs> also, uh-huh. and, and it's funny you say that about meditation, because I've, I find that really hard. I think it's real, it seems really valuable, but boy, do I have to bring my mind back to my breath, because mm. it's there's a million thoughts going on at once when I'm doing, yeah. you know, when I've tried meditation. It's kind of funny. Yeah, well, the, I think, I personally think that's when it's working, you know, because right. you're noticing what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a a part of your book that um, sort of is a, is a small example of that uh, thing's coming as a surprise, at least to me, the reader. And I wonder if you'd read that journal entry from October 2006. Oh, okay, yes. So October 2006 was a month after diagnosis, and um, I had had my bilateral mastectomy, and I did not know if I needed chemo yet. Um, Here we go. I should be thrilled that the cancer is gone, and I'm node negative. But instead, I hate everything. I hate that I'm having trouble sleeping because I can't find a comfortable position and my back hurts. I hate that I'm tired because of it. I hate that I haven't had any time to myself except in the shower and in the middle of the night when I should be sleeping. I hate that I feel bad about even wanting time to myself. I hate the way my sticky underarms rub against my numb, tingly skin. I hate the feeling of those tissue expanders. I hate that I feel guilty for everything I'm feeling thanks to ingrained Catholic guilt. I feel like I should be using this time to write some brilliant essay, yet I'm writing a bulleted list of everything I hate instead. I'm also worried about money and getting fat. <laughs> when, I, when I got to the last sentence, I just broke up because, <laughs> you know, nothing goes away. I mean, whatever you might have thought before, you might still think. Yeah. It, just, it just so captured me, that, that uh, list. And, and, and sadly, it's true. Uh, you know, I'd heard all these things that you're on tamoxifen and there's, you know, or, or weight gain or all this stuff and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was that ever a worry before cancer? Uh, weight gain? Uh-huh. Oh, sure, yeah, I'm, you know, me It's and, hard to escape, isn't it? Me and everyone else, but I'm pretty active, you know, I go in and out of various forms of exercise, it was running or walking or gym stuff, so... Um, it I wasn't just, a I, big worry. I just worry. like to feel good, like, I just want to be healthy enough that if I go on a hike, I won't, you know, that I can enjoy it and not be falling over (laughs) (laughs) a good goal i think (laughs) yeah you're not going to see the the view if you're looking at the ground because you're lying down 
so true. <laughs> you know, I noticed in the book, uh, I, I, obviously you were very geared to getting through with this thing and getting back to what you had wanted to do already. Yeah. Uh, maybe with a little more, uh, I don't know, a, a little bit of an extra impetus maybe. Yeah, probably, uh, probably greater intensity. Greater intensity, that's a great way to put it. Um, but one thing I noticed that it seemed to me as a reader to have changed is that you talked in the beginning about being very indecisive uh, previous to all this, but I didn't hear it in the way you came at deciding treatment or, you know, uh, going back to your life. It seemed very um, purposeful to me. Uh, was that an... What, first of all, is that how you experienced it? And um, what can you say about that? I think that's a really interesting perspective. It, it, I actually have not thought about it that way. Um, definitely been accused of being indecisive as, you know, where do you want to go have dinner? I have no idea. There's five million places we could go, you know, going on and on. <laughs> <clears throat> but there's something about uh, maybe it's the seriousness of you know cancer, a disease that kills people, um, and everything else falls away, and the seriousness called upon my practicality. I guess it's like we we got to get this done. You don't mess around. I mean, I think that's something my dad had said. Like, you don't you don't mess around with this. You need to get it out and get it get your treated in case there's any microscopic cells running around and and move on. And when my mother had um, DCIS, which is a a non non invasive breast cancer, a few years before, she was very much the same way. It's like let's just get it done and move on. Um, and part of that, I think, is the fear of it. Like, mm. uh, A, the sooner it gets out, the better. And then, B, I, I want to live. I got way too much stuff I want to do. Um, so let's not mess around. Yes, and, I'll, and then that gives you a chance to practice yourself, uh, to experience yourself making decisions quickly. You yeah. know, I, I wonder if that didn't change the way you look at yourself a bit. Um, I mean, maybe you still don't sometimes know if you want Chinese or Mexican, but that's a different that's a different category. Yeah, I think there's something to that about the pressure of time and what things right. What's really, really important, um, whatever that is for you, um, rises to the top when there's any threat to it being taken away. So... Um, d- just things about, I don't know, just things that are important to you or not important to you. Like, I'm not going to fight with someone about a parking space, for example, um, <laughs> because uh-huh. in the big scheme of things, if I have to walk a few extra feet to get to the store, is that really, is that really the end of the world? And so it's, it's that perspective and how do you want to spend your time? How did I want to spend my time? 
and um, it's not making a bunch of decisions that really aren't that important. So I, I hear I hear a sense of clarifying for you what really did matter to you. Yeah, and interestingly, um, I had done you know this one third life crisis work about uh, a few years before in my early thirties about what how I wanted to spend my time at work. Uh, I was working in a great place with some really amazing people, but what I was doing on a daily basis wasn't really bringing me the joy that I might see other people having. And so I made this whole career switch and, and because I just didn't want to spend any more time. Life's so short. And this is before the diagnosis. Um, you know, how do any of us want to spend our time? Because I don't want to look back and feel like anything... I should have done something sooner or because you can't get it back. You just, you can't get that mm, time back. Mm. Did you connect that impetus in you to change your life that way with any event or did it just kind of emerge out of you? Oh, I think <clears throat> um, going back to the being single in my early thirties, um, everyone was, getting married, like all, a lot of my really close high school friends had already been married and for a while and were having, building families and um, I kind of was, I think I had this assumption when I was a teenager that, yeah, I'll just, I'll get married and probably have a couple kids, that'd be nice and house and I'll probably, I'd like to work, but you know, I just assumed um, that would happen. I didn't, and and then when I was in my early 30s and it hadn't happened, I thought maybe it was something I wanted. I actually wasn't 100% sure what that looked like, but I was I felt like the odd man out or odd woman out, out as, it, as, it, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of stopped and was like, what is there? Is that okay that I'm single? Am I single by choice? Am I... Is that such a big deal? And so I kind of started going into therapy with that on my mind. Like, look, I really would like to have a healthy relationship. Um, what Am I holding myself back somehow? Mm-hmm. And then in that mix, um, I threw in the career because I had a suspicion that instead of um, managing projects, I should be on the the other side of it, creating creative, like writing and concepts and things like that. And so, and and then along, you know, kit and caboodle, I, I also thought, you know, there's stuff I like to do that I'm not doing on a daily basis. So, let's, mm-hmm. um, so that's when I kind of looked into doing comedy or improv and theater and I took some classes and um, I just started, exp- I put everything on the table and and looked at it, and then I made some changes. You know, what I hear in you is kind of uh, something that seems so key to face anything in life, which is the uh, impetus to learn from it, to really discover where you are in relationship to what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I I actually think that's probably what leads to change, (laughs) And, and I hear that in what you're describing. And another example of that that's from a very different angle is your discovery about how you wanted to relate to uh, 
you know, the pink movement, I guess I'll say, Mm -hmm. um, the breast cancer world. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would read the, the mannequin section of your book in that, in that, um, in that vein. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the setup for this is that a few, a few months after I finished treatment, there it was Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and um, I have uh, had a lot of self-imposed pressure that I should, because I had breast cancer, that I really should, you know, give back to the movement somehow. So I volunteered to be a to model merchandise at a shopping. Um, awareness event. Oi. <laughs> and, um, so I'm modeling clothes in a store and I'm stamping these cards and people um, would then take the cards and put them in a raffle at the end of this shopping event night and then they could win prizes. So <laughs> here I am literally being a, a, On display. Poster, a poster person for breast cancer. I turned toward the mannequins in the window display, looked above their plastic heads toward the ceiling, and noted the cobwebs and dust particles loitering in the rays of the overhead lights. It was all I could do to keep the tears back. Allergies, I said to the next stampy, mid-sniffle. Something in my eye, I said to another. These strangler jeans are choking my uterus, I said to nobody. Most of the remaining shoppers were younger girls who came and went without incident. I liked them best. They were too absorbed in their new duds to look at me funny. Eventually, the shoppers stopped coming at all, and the card stamping came to an end. I was making my way to the dressing room to peel off my jeans when the manager approached. You can keep those, he said, glancing toward my jeans and back to my face with a faint, empathetic smile. My aunt had breast cancer. Oh, I stammered, dreading finding out whether she was dead or alive. Thankfully, he offered that she was very much alive. It was just hard to see her go through it. I said something about being glad to hear it, thanked him for the clothes, and proceeded to feel like shit for not wanting to be in the same demographic as his aunt, for seeing the clothes as more of a handout than an innocent and compassionate gesture. On the way to my car, I stopped and stopped and watched the shoppers gather for the big raffle. They clapped and cheered as each winner was announced. Restaurant gift cards and cashmere sweaters egging them on. I stared at them from afar, feeling both relieved and forgotten. What exactly would you have them do? asked my inner critic. Cry? Well, no, countered my sensitive self, but maybe they could tone it down a little be less happy, less wealthy, less tan. Nothing they do is going to change the fact that you had breast cancer. They're having fun while donating to a good cause, your cause. They're doing what they're supposed to do, and you should be grateful. I should have been grateful, but I was angry instead, angry that they were spending their evening shopping and winning free stuff and having fun while I was spending mine sweating under the heat of a pink spotlight warding off tears. I was angry that I had stupid fucking cancer in the first place and no one to blame. I was marked for life and it wasn't anybody's fault. 
that that so that captured a lot of experiences of other people that I know and so well that sense of being a little I guess I want to say dehumanized by being the person with cancer. Um, we're going to go to a break now, and listeners, don't forget to go to my host page. Find Dina Taylor at her website, dinataylor.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance, and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dina Taylor about her book, I don't want to be pink. And let's go to the point where you're, which we, which we kind of did with that. Well, I guess that was sort of mid, but at that moment, you didn't know you were going to do any more treatment. Let's go to after the treatment. Um, how did you, did you immediately pick up where you left off? Did, was there a process to that? Um, how, how was that for you when you did finally finish all the cancer stuff you had to do? Um, there is a strange thing that happened, and it is not wanting to have cancer or go into chemo. So on one hand, you're thrilled when you get out and you have and they take your port out. That's also really nice mm-hmm. because because that means they're pretty confident that they don't need to use it anymore. Um, But also, it's really scary to go four months without anyone checking your blood and anyone uh, checking your lymph nodes and feeling around, you know, whatever tissue may or may not be left. Um, For lumps, you're kind of released into this 
into the wild again of of everyday life, and I felt like, uh, is anyone looking out for me? Like, what if something's growing in there? What if you miss it? Um, so it's just, it's it's thrilling and really scary all at the same time. Kind of kind of uh, flying without a net feeling. Yeah, that that security of someone checking on you every, oh, with chemo, it was uh, every couple weeks. You get the, you know, I was having my blood tested, and then, you, then you're on this, like, four-month uh, plan. And so um, I could live in four-month increments. And also coming out of chemo, I had, um, my hair was coming back in, eyebrows, I mean, I had faint eyebrows and eyelashes, but, you know, so you're physically changing as well. And then um, after chemo for the next six months or so, um, there was the final touches of the reconstruction surgery, and that did not go as perfectly as I would hope, but that nothing is, so that's fine. Um <laughs> But yeah, there there was there's a little imperfection that I write about um, in the reconstruction um, that it, I eventually just let go. It, it after three attempts to fix it, it I was it, it just didn't matter anymore, and I didn't want to give it any more energy. So it was weird coming out of out of treatment. Very weird. And then at the same time, I got the idea that you did, um, you know, for instance go back to work in a more, um, I don't know, predictable or intense way and start thinking again about where you wanted to go in the world, that all those things, how long did that, you did, how long was it before you felt well enough to actually consider those things, uh, you know, being at the center of, of what you were doing? Well, um Pretty quickly. I mean, like I said, I through chemo. Um, on when I had good days, I made the most of them, and I was I was running. So I think halfway through chemo, um, some friends and I decided that when I was done, and if I had the doctor's blessing, we would go to Belize. And this is one of the things I want to add into the book that uh, was cut but I'm going to add it back in, I think. Um, and so for five days, the I think as soon as I, I don't know, the month after chemo was done, we flew down to Belize for mm. like five days. And then um, pretty quickly, like another month or so later, I flew to the Northwest and sort of did this tour of family and friends um, with my sprouting hair coming back and looking like a new chia pet (laughs) Um, and uh, did that and then another the other thing that July is I went on a cruise with my mother and that's also didn't make the book but I I'm probably going to put that back in and then my brother got married that August and then a spur of the moment trip to Paris with some really really beloved friends that following November. So you were very busy in that period of time, actually. Yeah. yeah. I I couldn't wait. Like Mm -hmm. I I physically was well enough and everybody, and and that's the thing, you know, people can tell you 
um, your doctors can say you have a good prognosis, you can do all this, there's no reason you can't go swimming, you know, in the ocean or whatever as soon as the bandages come off. But um, you got to do it yourself to believe it sometimes. So TikTok, I was kind of going with the flow. I, I do remember feeling like, oh, these tri- trip opportunities are coming. Yes, yes, I will do this. I'm not even going to think too much about it. I'm just going to say yes and figure out, figure it out as I go. It sounds to me like that was already a very uh, uh, meaningful thing to you to to be in other parts of the world to experience travel, and it feels to me like people uh, tend to worry less about whether they'll have the energy for something when it's so basic like that. Uh, you just said, "Yes, I get to do it," you know. Um, yeah. Maybe not a big worry whether you're going to actually go to Belize and lay in your room or something. Just go anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just went anyway, and the people I went with are, you know, beautiful, compassionate, and funny people. So the the thing about Belize was, you know, it was warm and humid, um, but I had just I was on tamoxifen for only a month at that time, and I was having multiple red, sweaty, hot flashes throughout the day. Mm. And um, sleeping was miserable and being hot and humid just, I mean, it was just like 24-hour hot flash. But, you know, I could do that at home or I could see Belize. And Mm. um, at one point we went on a boat ride and uh, we're in the ocean. And I have to tell you, that was one of the greatest feelings ever because you're hot all the time and then... Mm. Woo! So if you're having a hot flash and you can jump in the ocean, I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds excellent. <laughs> it's better than a freezer, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, hmm. that's that's also sort of um, maybe a clarity on on what's worth stopping about and what isn't. And also, I was thinking. If Belize was kind of muggy, maybe other people were sweating with you. Yeah, <laughs> that's a <laughs> you great person. Yeah, not so, hey. not so noticeable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that just um, I have to comment on, you know, uh, one of my teachers would say uh, basically the the difference between heaven and hell in a situation like this is the people that support you. Oh yeah. And I just, it sounds as if you had such an amazing community that um, there wasn't maybe quite as much of what what is typical, like people being afraid to say anything or, you know, uh, people kind of backing in a way. Um, is, is, am I reading that right, that your supporters were very exceptional? I, I think there's exceptional. Exceptional. I'm, I'm exceptionally lucky um, to know people who were said funny, funny things um, and sweet things and made casseroles and, uh, you know, if I came up with some sort of funny coping thing like this Valentine's Day card that I did with a cue ball, it's hard to explain. But anyway, I sent it out to a bunch of people and they just ran with it. And it was, you know, in a way, hopefully it was fun for them, but also maybe they don't 
realize it, but the fact that they responded just made me feel I was still with them and um, they were listening and playing. They were playing along with me and it just kept that normalcy going. Yeah. I'm I'm imagining that they they already knew kind of what your angle on life is and they didn't uh, demand that that change you know, they still expected that same person. And I think that's very, uh, very comforting. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. They, yeah. They know me very, they know me pretty well. I'm, I don't know, I guess um, anyone who knows me, that's been the, always been the common ground. And I get to know somebody, it's always humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in the creative community that I, that I work in. So clients, you know, Clients, colleagues, almost all of them have become friends because, I don't know, we share that. Yeah, you look at things that way. Oh, yeah. Well, also, uh, something I hadn't thought of quite in the way you said it was was um, that being single, your community really probably came in a little bit closer, in fact, uh, you know, because they were the people to support you. There wasn't this partner who was doing a bunch of that and I imagine that changed all those relationships to a degree yeah I think it strengthens and mm-hmm. people step up and I mean even people who didn't know what to say would say I don't know what to say which was better than not better than anything. nothing for yeah, sure better than not saying anything at all yeah. because yeah, it's yeah. like okay well at least I know that you're telling me that you heard me and that you know what I'm going through. And that, that's all, you know, that's yes. all anyone needs. To. For sure. Well, let's, let's end with this uh, last piece of writing um, about the drummer. Yeah, so... Um, and we do only have just a couple minutes, so... Okay. Okay, this is a Christmas trip in West Texas with my family after finishing treatment. Great. One afternoon, we drove to nearby Post Park on the Pena, Colorado River, home to a secluded pond popular among birders. We had the entire place to ourselves except for a single young man banging away on a drum set in the grass. It was a peculiar and wonderful sight, and I was compelled to find out who he was and why he was there. His answer was startlingly simple. His name was Pete. He was a drummer from New Orleans, and he just needed a place to practice. He didn't say whether he still lived there, and was just passing through, or if he had moved to Texas, and it didn't matter. What mattered was that he allowed himself to go there, to embrace an opportunity to indulge his passion. And why not, I thought. Why not bang your drums right here next to a river surrounded by the Los Caballos Nova Culite Mountains under the giant blue skies of far west Texas? Until we showed up, he wasn't bothering anyone save for the birds who might have been a little jittery, what with each bang of the stick sounding like gunfire. Why should Pete settle for a basement or garage when this natural open-air auditorium was just sitting here, empty? I thought of how often we get in our own way, how we are our our own stumbling blocks to really experiencing life. Pete made hauling out your drum set in a birding park in the middle of nowhere look like an everyday occurrence. No big deal, just the kind of thing a guy like Pete would do. Mm. What kind of thing does a girl like me do, I wondered. Cancer or no cancer, what do I naturally gravitate toward? 
if I could get out of my own way, where would I go and what would I do? Three months later, I put a deposit on a trip to Africa. That's a great way to end, Dina. Thanks so much for being with me here. Next week, we'll have Jethro Haco and Nick Jalen, who've made a book, a game called My Gift of Grace to talk about end of life. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.